And if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of James, chapter 5. We have spent our summer in the book of James, and Lord willing, we will uh, preach this morning and next week, and we will wrap up this great book. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Everybody, as you know, uh, needs a friend. Everybody needs to be in a fellowship. Everybody needs to be in a group. We are social creatures. And so being amongst people uh, that we can love on and they can care for us is an essential thing. It's essential to our emotional health. It's essential to our wisdom, our ability to persevere in the face of difficulty. It's essential when we have to handle crises. And it's essential for joy. But what if the key piece to our Christian friendships... What if the key piece to Christian fellowship, what if that key piece were missing? Have you ever gone to the store and you bought some liquid medicine or maybe you bought some sort of salve that you put on sore muscles and you looked at the ingredient list and it said 99% inactive ingredients and 1% is the medicine. Now when you read that, what are you thankful for? You're thankful they didn't leave out the 1%. But what if in our relationships, what if in our fellowships, what even if in our church, we are leaving out the 1%, the part of relationships, friendships, fellowships that makes them so valuable to us, that makes them so effective for us. We need to know what is the 1% and we need to make sure we are holding on to that. Now this is a gospel issue, I want you to know. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, why are we going to spend time this morning talking about friendships or fellowships? Certainly, there are more important things to talk about. Well, we focus on this because the Bible focuses on this, where we come to in the book of James this morning, but also because this is a gospel issue. The Bible says that the world will know that we have something special. The world will know of our relationship with Jesus because of the the love that we have for one another, that we have the proper kind of fellowship, we have the proper kind of interconnectedness that will capture the attention of the world and they will be drawn to the gospel. Another reason why it's such an important issue is because the Bible takes great pains to describe us as the body of Christ. Now, why are we called the body of Christ? Well, because... We have a special relationship with Jesus. He is the head, we are the body, but also because we have a special relationship with each other. Just as my body parts are not individual, my eyeball can't go rolling down North Street and do anything of its own, it it has to be connected to the body. And so my eye is dependent upon my ear and my ear is dependent upon my hand and my hand is dependent upon my feet. And it's, it's when all of those body parts are properly related to one another that my body can accomplish something. And so it's, it's a biblical issue. It's a gospel issue that our connections, friendships or fellowships are characterized the way the Bible says uh, they ought to be. So what is this missing ingredient? What is this 1% that really makes our fellowships, our friendships valuable? The 1% is prayer. The one thing that characterizes what we would call, what we would classify as a Christian friendship 
or a Christian fellowship. The one thing that distinguishes that between any other kind of fellowship or friendship is that we pray. Not, not just that we occasionally pray, not just that we pray before we eat or we pray when we get up in the morning, but the one thing that characterizes, according to the Bible, a, a distinctly Christian relationship is that we have inside that fellowship or relationship, we have prayer. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, we knew that. We, 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 Christians pray, of course. Christians pray. But, but, but why is this so important? Well, because for most of us, we have relationships that we call Christian relationships. We have fellowships. We're in groups, and we call them Christian fellowships. We call them Christian friends. But our fellowships and our relationships look just like those of the world. We gather together, we like each other, we share some common interests, we encourage one another, but we lack this one thing that the Bible says is critical. We don't really pray for one another. So I want to show you in, in James chapter 5, if you're using one of the hardback Bibles in the rack in front of you, it's page 1073, I want to show you the unique place of prayer in the life and in the relationships of a believer. So James 5, we read verse 13 two weeks ago, but I want to go back and start there again today. He says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. And so we learned a couple of weeks ago, that means you should pray. You should pray for you. If you're going through hard times, what should you do? You should pray. If, if things are going well, what should you do? You should pray. Sing praises. That's prayer. No matter what you're going through, you should pray for you. But I want you to notice when we read verse 14 that the whole uh, focus of this passage is going to change. Now, there's probably a heading above verse 13 in your Bible that says that this whole passage is about prayer. <clears throat> and that's not incorrect. It is about prayer. But verse 13 is about one kind of prayer. The rest of the chapter is about an entirely different kind of prayer. Verse 13 is about praying for you. You praying for you. That's important. But notice 14 is different. It says, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this isn't about you praying for you. This is about you needing prayer and you sharing that with somebody else and somebody else praying for you. This is a little different. Not you praying for you, but other people praying for you. Now we're going to put all these verses together in a moment, but let's go through this just word or two at a time. I want to make sure that we don't miss anything that's important. He begins by saying, if you are sick, you should ask people to pray. Now the word sick here in the original language uh, is most often used to refer to physical sickness, but it can also be used to refer to uh, an emotional sickness or even a spiritual sickness. It means weakness. Those of you who are weak, and so if you're weak physically, spiritually, emotionally, what should you do? You should call on others to pray. And so here he says he should call for the elders of the church. Now, elders in this sense most likely referred to the, to the pastors. But we're going to see when we get down a verse or two later that really the, the invitation is for everybody. If you are struggling, you should ask somebody to pray for you. Now, it says that there will do something very particular. It says, 
they are to pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now that seems a little odd, right? What does he mean, anoint them with oil? What does the oil have to do with prayer? Well, the oil here, I believe, is simply a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray for somebody who is struggling, we are asking the Holy Spirit to intervene in their lives and give wisdom or give healing or, or give protection. And so the oil is, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But I think also the oil is an expression of faith. When you do this, and I don't know if you've ever done this before, but when you're the recipient of the oil or you are the administrator of the oil, it's a little odd. It takes a little bit of faith. God said, do it. It takes faith to do it. It is an expression of faith for somebody to reach out to me or to reach out to one of our leaders and say, I would like for you to come and pray and anoint me with oil is an expression of your faith. Now you might say, do we do that here at a Baptist church? Well, yes, we do. And we've done that. I've been your pastor now for about a year and a half. We've done this more than once. Uh, we do it privately. We do it just as the Bible commands. When somebody asks us to do this, we gather together some, some uh, spiritual leaders in our church and we pray just as the Bible instructs us to do that. But the expression here is an expression of faith. When we struggle, we should ask people to pray and we should ask them to pray in faith that God loves us and that God has all power to do whatever his will uh, uh, points him to do. Now, let's continue to read verse 15. It says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, this doesn't override the sovereignty of God. God's going to go the direction God wants to go and God may choose to heal somebody immediately or he may choose to heal his uh, children by taking them to heaven and they may have perfect healing then. But he's telling us here that God honors the prayers of his people. That when we pray, that God honors that, that God responds to that in some measurable way, God responds to the prayers of his people. Isn't that an encouragement? And so verse 14 says we need to ask people to pray. Verse 15 says we need to pray for people who have a need. And then look at verse 16. He says, therefore, now, therefore means this is connected with what he just told us to do. Ask for prayer, pray for people who need help. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. So interesting things here. First of all, confess your sins to one another. This is a Roman Catholic confession. Uh, there, there's no sacramental element to this. This is not a part of your salvation. This doesn't say go and confess to a priest. It certainly doesn't say go and confess to a pastor. You don't need to tell me about all your sins. Uh, but it's talking about uh, two people coming together in mutual confession. Two people who were close, two brothers in Christ, uh, two or three ladies that, 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 that have coveted, made a covenant to pray for one another, saying, listen, I struggle in some areas. I, I've got some weaknesses, and I wish the two of you would pray for me in respect to these. That's what it's talking about. Confess your sins to one another so that they can pray. And it says if you'll do this, and they pray that God will honor those prayers. In fact, if you look at the middle part of this verse, he says, pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
the implication is that there are some struggles that you have that you will never overcome apart from somebody else praying for you. He says, confess your sins, your struggles, your weaknesses to a brother in Christ. And, and that person will pray so that as a result of that, because you've done it as it has been prescribed, you will be healed. You will overcome your struggles. And then, he, and then he says here at the end, there's one more thing we should point out before we move on. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. He, he connects uh, the, the effectiveness of prayer uh, to the righteousness of the prayer. Uh, now, the righteousness here, uh, both that a person is saved, so he has the righteousness of Christ, only a Christian can pray, but also righteousness in the sense a person who is walking with the Lord. And so as we walk more closely with God, then our prayers have different effect because God listens to the prayers of his children who walk with him. Now, so, so we, we've read this scripture. Uh, the question is, what does this teach us about Christian fellowship or friendship? You use the word you want, fellowship, friendship. What does this say about how Christians ought to relate together? It says two very important things. Number one, God wants to work through those around us. God wants to work through those around us. We have created, unfortunately, here in America, our own brand of Christianity. And if you look at how Christianity is so often communicated here in our country and you compare it to the Christianity as it was communicated in the first century, you're going to find some striking differences. In America, we are so individualistic. And we talk about Christianity as if it were just simply a vertical relationship, just me and God. We use words like a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? We talk about our faith as a private matter, an independent pursuit. And there is some truth to all of those. You do need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. There are parts of your spiritual walk that should be private matters. But when you see faith in the New Testament, you never see it demonstrated. You never see it described, I should say, in those terms. No, the relationship, the Christian experience in the New Testament, while it was vertical, certainly, you and God, it was also horizontal, you and the people around you. You don't find Christians in the New Testament, any Christians in the New Testament, living solo, independent, private, personal Christian lives. They're always connected with people around them. And in fact, the Bible teaches that much of what God wants to do through us, he wants to do through the person sitting next to you, through the person in your Sunday school class, through the person in your prayer group. God wants to work through the people around us. That's what these verses tell us. That's why it gets to the end of, end of the book, uh, in, in this book of James, which was the primer for how to live the Christian life for the church. This was the first Bible, New Testament, really, that they had. And so he concludes it by saying, you need to be connected to the people around you. That's why God instituted the church. I mean, God could have had some 
religious program that didn't require us to come together as a group every week. God could have just put it on television, right? He could have just, he could have just uh, uh, put it in the, in the clouds. But God called us together because there needs to be community. That's why he calls us the body of Christ, to indicate, to stress to us the importance of how we're connected one to the other. In fact, James 5 ties our spiritual lives to the spiritual lives of those around us. Now, if, I, if we had hours this morning, uh, I, I, could, I could really step through the, all the descriptions in the New Testament and, and show you this um, just, just almost in a profound way how Christianity just had a whole different feel in the first century because of this emphasis on the emphasis on the horizontal. But, but let, me just, let me just share with you four verses. The very first description of the church in the New Testament is in Acts 1.14. Listen to this. They all were continually united in prayer. So it says that, that, that they were all together. They came together. This, they weren't all in different homes. They came together. They did it continually, which meant they were often together. And, and when they were together, they were united in prayer. Not individual prayer, but united prayer. The second description of the church, Acts 2.44, says, Now all the believers were together. We're together. And, and then I'm going to skip a few verses. Verse 46 says, daily they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. The Christians were together. That was a big part of their faith. And so an instruction for the early church, Hebrews 3.13, encourage each other daily so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. He says, the way to keep from being hardened by sin is that the people around you are daily encouraging you. And then the model for the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27, says if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. The Bible over and over stresses that God wants to work in our lives through the people that we're connected with, the other Christians we're connected with. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked, and you'll hear this often in the next few weeks and years, really, if the Lord allows. We said that our church understands that a fully devoted follower of Christ, that four things are true of her or of him. That person has a love for God. That person has a love for people. That person serves the body, and that person serves the world. We said those four things are the four key ingredients to being a fully devoted follower of Christ. That you love God, you have a passion for God, you're reading your Bible, you're sharing your faith, you're worshiping, that you know Christ as your Savior, of course, you love God. We'll skip love people, I'll come back to it, but the third one is that you serve the body. Everybody ought to be serving in the church. Number four, that you serve the world. Everybody ought to be a part of missions so that the gospel goes outside the four corners or the four walls of our church into our our community and around the world. But the second one is this. If we're to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, we have to love people. We have to be linked with the people around us. That's why it's important that you're in a small group, in a Sunday school, in a Bible study, in a discipleship group. We need to be linked with the people around us so that we're encouraging them and they are encouraging us. Much of what God wants to do in your life, he wants to do through the people around you. Every once in a while I'll hear people argue, present an argument for why church is not important. Uh, they will say things like this, well I, 
I just watch it online or on television. And, and, and I'm all for watching online and television. We're online this morning. We're on television this morning. And I'm thankful for all of our online internet and television audience. And we're, we're glad we can come into your homes and minister to you. But I'll say to you that it's not just about watching something on television. It's not just about looking at a screen in the privacy of your home. But people will say, well, I don't need to come to church because I watch it online or I read it or I pray all by myself. There's a problem with that. That is disobedience because the Bible says we ought to be gathering together. Now, there may be a component, there may be a time, a season in your life where you're watching, but we ought to make efforts to gather together. It is unhealthy and it is, and we are self-deceived when we're not connected uh, with other believers. The church is not just about content. If, if we're just trying to have a good message Listen, we, we could just find some good message and send everybody a DVD every week. I mean, if the goal were just content, there are better ways to do this. If the goal were just education or if the goal were entertainment. But no, we come together to honor God, to teach his word, and, and to help people relate to one another because we are the body of Christ. I, I, I love to grill. I grilled salmon last night. I grilled steak the day before that, and I think I grilled chicken or something the day before. I, I don't remember. I, I grill almost every day. Uh, the real reason I moved from Ohio to Texas is because you can't grill in Ohio every day. So uh, I, I'm here and um, appreciate you uh, uh, helping me in my little grilling hobby. But so, so what, what I do is I'll take about 20 or 30 uh, pieces of lump charcoal and I put them in this ceramic grill. And there's a lot of energy in that just little bit of charcoal. And so I can raise the temperature of that grill to about 700 degrees and I can cook a steak in five minutes flat. Or I can have that charcoal release its energy slower and, and I can put a Boston butt on there and cook it at 200 degrees for 15 hours. There is a lot of energy in that little bit of charcoal as long as it is gathered up in that grill. But you take that charcoal and put it in about 10 different piles with just two or three pieces in each pile, and you wouldn't have enough energy to burn a hot dog, okay? Because, because the energy, the, the, the effective energy is because we, we bunch it together in a grill. God wants to do something in you that he cannot do and that he will not do if you're off by yourself. And so what, is, what do these verses teach us about Christian fellowship? God wants to work through the people around you. Now, the second thing, very quickly, that God wants to teach us in these verses about Christian fellowship is that there are some things that will only happen through the prayers of those around us. God wants to do some things in your life that he specifically has decided he will only do through the prayers of the people around you. That ought to encourage you and scare you at the same time. Look back at verse 16, the middle part of that verse. We'll look at the whole verse. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The praying for one another is connected, necessarily connected, with you may be healed. There is some healing. There is some strength, success, fruitfulness that you will not experience unless you are in a praying for one another relationship. Um, if you're not in that kind of relationship, 
you're missing out on a significant part of physical strength and healing, peace, joy, wisdom, effectiveness, and success. Now, I, 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 I ordinarily don't like to read just a ton of verses, just one, two, three, because uh, I know it's hard for people to pay attention, but I'm going to make an exception here. I, I just want you to think really hard for about two and a half minutes. I time this. It won't take long, but I, I want you to listen to these because I, I want you to pick up on the pattern of how there are some things that God will only do in your life through the prayers of the people around you. Listen to the Apostle Paul, the most successful Christian missionary, wrote about half the New Testament. You know the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said this, he has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us. Paul said, life was hard and life's going to continue to be hard, but God's taking care of me at every turn. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. He, he, he said, God, God has delivered us, but it was because you prayed for us. He goes on to say, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. The apostle Paul said he was able to survive the hardships directly because people prayed. Now we have to be careful, you know, that we don't go outside the bounds of scripture, but the implication is he would not have survived had people not prayed. Let me show you another example. Philippians 1.18. Again, the apostle Paul uh, is, um, he's had some adversaries and I'm going to read, you see it on the screen. I'm going to read a little abbreviated part, uh, but it says, he said this, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. He, he's going through this difficulty, but he says, it's going to lead to my salvation, not saved, lost kind of salvation, but it's going to, it's going to work out. Why? Because people pray. Paul said, I'm going to experience a victory and this victory is connected necessarily to the prayers of the people. Hebrews 13, 18, and 19, uh, there's, um, it, it's not the apostle Paul, but it's the same sentiment. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything, and I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you soon. He says, we're doing everything that we know to do, but whether or not we come safely back with a victory in this spiritual endeavor is determined by whether or not you pray. Now, I'll just give you one more example and we'll move on. How do you win a spiritual battle? Ephesians 6:18. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and the intercession for the saints. What he says is if you're facing a spiritual battle, you need people to pray for you. Now this is talking in part about you praying for yourself, but he says there the intercession of all the saints at the end of verse 18, what he's saying is that we need to pray for other people. One of the keys to people experiencing spiritual victory is that somebody's praying for them. So my oldest daughter started last week her sophomore year of college and I spent time last week praying. I don't even know the spiritual battles that she will face this year and the, and the struggles and, and, and things that aren't even on her radar and, 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 and things I may not ever know about. But I prayed that God would give her spiritual victory over temptation, that God would give her spiritual wisdom as she made, it, made decisions. I believe that I contributed and I will contribute through prayers to her spiritual victory. I prayed for all of my kids this week as they're starting school and my middle daughter's a senior in high school and I, and I prayed earnestly for her this week. And, and, and so, 
So our prayers, he says, contribute to the spiritual victory in warfare, spiritual warfare of the people around us. Let's look at it from a different perspective. What is your biggest emotional or sinful struggle over the last two or three years? Just think about it. What, what, do you, what have you struggled with the most? Um, maybe it's depression. And depression is not necessarily a sinful thing, but depression is a struggle, right? Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's anger. What, what has been your biggest struggle? And how many times have you prayed a prayer that sounds like this? Lord, please take this struggle away from me. I don't want to lose my temper ever again. Why, why do I struggle with this? Lord, I surrender this to you. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you still struggle. You still lose your cool. And, and you wonder, why doesn't God take that away? Well, you know why it just might be? Because there are some things that God will only do through the prayers of other people. That's why he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that then you may be healed. What is missing, may be missing, is your mutual confession of prayer. Maybe you're fighting something alone that God wants to solve through the body of Christ, through the body of Christ. So we're missing, I'm afraid, much of the heart of what it means to live a Christian life because so many of us are doing it so individually. We have friends, but let's just be honest, most of us don't have James 5.16 friends. We, we, we don't have friends that we can share weaknesses with. We don't have friends that we're praying for on a daily basis and they're praying for us. Our friendships often look much like the friendships of the world. There is though something that can make all the difference and that's prayer. So let me, and, and now I'm to my message, but I promise you it's short. Uh, <laughs> I see the panic on some people's face. The pot roast is burning. The line at the restaurant's getting longer. Um, let, let, me, let me share with you just, I, I want to make this practical. One, two, three, how can you have, how can you embrace real Christian uh, friendships and fellowships? Uh, and, and you see these just verse 14, 15, 16. This is simple stuff. Number one, you need to ask for prayer. Verse 14 says, if you're weak, if you're sick, you should ask for prayer. Listen, you are not a hero if you are stoic and you keep your needs, struggles, and weaknesses to yourself. And I know that there's a whole generation of you that grew up being told that you're not a man, that you're not a strong woman if you, if you tell people around you when you go through struggles. But that's just not biblical. We need to ask people for prayer. Let's don't be so arrogant. Let's don't act like we don't need God. God wants to help us and he wants to help us through the prayers of the people around us. Let us humble ourselves and ask for prayer. We are excluding ourselves from things God wants to do in our lives and we are denying God the opportunity to show his power in our lives by refusing to share our weaknesses and struggles with the people around us. Uh, when you refuse to ask for prayer, you do these three things. You obstruct God's plan to work through his people. 
You are keeping God from being able to do what he wants to do through the people around you. Number two, you deny the opportunity for others to know the joy of holding you up in prayer. Maybe God, maybe it's not even about you. God wants to do something in somebody else's life and what he wants to do requires you to share your needs so this person can pray and God can answer that prayer and this person's faith is strengthened. I can't tell you how many times God has strengthened my faith because I prayed for somebody and I saw God work in their life and it it reaffirmed my faith. And had they not shared their need, they would have denied me that spiritual growth. And the third thing it does is it robs Christ of glory, of the glory of expressing his love, power, and provision through his body. God wants to be glorified because his body takes care of his body. And when we refuse to share our needs, we deny God that opportunity. What if, what if when the service ended today and every week for the next 10 years, the Lord allows, uh, what if people, now this would take some courage. I don't know if any of you have courage. But what if people turned around and found somebody standing, sitting there near them? And they just took a step over and they put their arm around that person and said, you know, I've got a tough week coming up. And um, last week at work, things didn't go well. Boss is on me. I'm worried about this next week. I don't, I don't want to lose my cool. And I don't want to lose my job. Would you just pray for me a minute? And the two of you and maybe a couple other people, maybe not. But you just huddle, huddle together right here, right over there. And people see you. You're in, you're in everybody's way. It's sort of aggravating for some people. But you just sort of huddle together and you take a minute and you pray. See, that, that, that's, what, that's what a Christian gathering ought to look like. Maybe one of you, you see somebody across the worship center and, and you know that they're struggling. Their, their husband is sick or their wife is sick or there's something going on. And you just walk across and said, you know, I, I didn't want to see you this morning and not pray for you. Do you mind if we just stopped right here and we just held hands and prayed? Would you, what if this, this would take some guts. What, what, if, a, what if a husband were to, were to whisper to his wife, you know, I'm really sorry about how hard it's been to be married to me this last week. Let's get somebody to pray. And you turn around to a couple behind you. And you say, listen, I, I don't want to share my life story and you don't want to hear it, but, but Satan has just poured stress in our marriage last week. And I, I wonder if, if you just pray with us right now that God would have the victory in our marriage this next week. Would you do that? And what if all over this church, every time we broke up a meeting, people started grouping up and praying? Listen, that's how it happened in the first church. They were continually devoted to prayer. We are so individual, we're missing out. We need to have the courage to ask people to pray for us. Quit being so proud, ask somebody to pray. We have, we have given you a new opportunity. We have created something on our webpage, uh, first FBC. NAC.org is our webpage. If you want to share a prayer request, and I'd rather you just share it, I'd, I'd rather you share it first just with a little circle of friends at the end of the service. But if you have a prayer request you'd like to share for the church to pray for, 
go to our webpage slash prayer, fbcnac.org slash prayer. And there's a place you can put in your prayer request and it'll be made available online for other people to pray for it. It'll even send you an email and let you know that somebody prayed for it. And so you can go on there too and pray. We should do that. You should check that. You should bookmark that web address and pray. fbcnac.org slash prayer. Easy to remember. But share your prayer request. Number two, very quickly. If, if we're going to embrace real Christian fellowship, we should ask for prayer. Number two, we should pray for others. James 5.15. Pray. Pray. Simple verse. Don't just say it. Do it. I, I, I think one of the most common sins in the church are expressed with these words, I'll pray for you. Let's just be honest. Most of the time we say those words, we don't pray. Shame on us. If you tell somebody you're going to pray, pray. Write it down. Pray. Put it on your hand. Pray. Write it on your forehead. Whatever it takes. I guess you couldn't see that. But pray. This is serious. Look how Paul prayed. Ephesians 1.16, he says, I never stop giving thanks for you. Romans 1.9, he says, God is my witness. I constantly mention you in prayer. Colossians 1.9, he says, since the day you heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We need to pray. Don't, don't just pretend to pray. Let's pray. There are things that God wants to do through your prayers on behalf of the people around us. And so you can go to that same prayer wall, fbc, uh, fbcnac.org slash prayer, and you can pray for other people in your church. Uh, you, can, uh, you can sign up to be a part of the prayer room. You saw the advertisement before the service began. And so we have people that come and pray for an hour in a special place where we got all the prayer requests and it's comfortable and it's heated and cooled and soft, cushy chairs. And I mean, it's set and ready to go for you. Just call the church office and we can help you find a spot that'll fit your schedule. But then number three, very quickly, we need to pray together. So that's verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We need to be humble and obedient and do this. Everybody here needs to be in a relationship where somebody can hear your struggles and pray for your healing. Most of us are not in that kind of relationship. Most of us don't have anybody we can go to. So here's the challenge. Listen, church, here's the challenge. Will you step out first? Don't wait for somebody to come to you. Will you step out first and say, hey, I want to share some struggles and ask you to pray. Will you be obedient? <clears throat> will you, if you will do this, you will have the personal benefit. You'll be able to serve others and you will be the model for what it means to live in Christian fellowship. You know, I close just by asking this, this question. Are you on praying ground? You know what that means? Are you on praying ground? Not everybody can pray. Uh, the Bible says that God hears the prayers of his children. There has to have been a time in your life, listen, when you understood that you were guilty of sin and that your only hope was Christ, and that you trusted him for your salvation. You surrendered your life to him, and you're walking with him. If that's not happened, you're not on praying ground. The most important thing is that you get on praying ground. The most important thing is you know Christ is your savior, 
In a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if, if you would like for one of our ministers to help you, begin today with a, with a new relationship with Christ. Perfect forgiveness. If you're ready to surrender to Christ, if you'll step out from where you are, there'll be people here in the front that'd love to help you with this. But the rest of us, listen. What a shame that we have so many quality friendships but they're not praying friendships. We have so many relationships, but they're not really Christian relationships. We're missing out on so much. Would you be so bold? Would you be so obedient to step out even this morning and initiate prayer with somebody, with somebody, so that we can experience all that God would have us experience? in these relationships that he's blessed us with. Let me pray. Father, uh, speak to us. Help us not to be people who just talk of prayer. Help us be people who pray. Father, forgive us when we've neglected to pray. Forgive us when we have been less than sincere in praying. Forgive us when we have not asked others to pray because of our pride and our stubbornness. And help our relationships here at this church to be characterized by prayer, that we would be people who, who are quick to call on people to pray right here and to see people pray and encourage us in that way. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.